You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. with you, uh, so you encourage you to keep them open, we'll refer to them fairly regularly. This book uh, is the book of Isaiah, it is a complicated book of prophecy. In Christianity, prophecy is when God's words come to his people, either in the present, about the present, or about the future, or both. And so uh, we're looking at Isaiah because of this, in particular because of this character called the servant, who we've named the series after. And... The servant is sometimes referred to, as in the narrator sort of mentions the servant, this character called the servant, or sometimes the servant seems to take over and speak for himself, and so we actually have the words of the servant written down for us, which is the case for most of the verses that Lenny just read for us, that it's actually this this character speaking. Now, what the New Testament does is it directly connects Jesus Christ with this character of the servant. And so whenever we receive the servant referred to or we read the words of the servant, then it's fair enough for us to go, this might be about Jesus. Uh, And in this case, it definitely is about Jesus. And I really want to take us through how that works and show you the connections with Jesus and show you how the character of the servant in many ways is Jesus and the words that we've just read in many ways are the words of Jesus. Uh, Now, for some reason, the passage reminded me of a failed TV show from a few years back called Flash Forward. Now, uh, you probably didn't see it because its ratings were very low. Uh, Had an interesting premise premise that it did not deliver on as the episodes went on. But the premise was interesting, and here's what it was. At the same time, all around the world, every uh, every single person blacks out at exactly the same time. And while they're blacked out, which isn't for long, just a minute or two, they have a vision of the future. They have a vision of themselves at some point in the not-too-distant future. So they black out in the presence, their mind fast-forwards to the future, and they see something about their life. For some people, it's very mundane. One person's just working in their office, and then a bird hits the window. But other people, dramatic things have happened. Their life has changed. They've met new people. Uh, Amazing things seem to be happening. And so what the plot of the show is, is basically the people living in the present but having this vision in the future, trying to work out what happened there leading up to that point and then having a guess of what's going to happen next. And so that's sort of the journey a lot of the characters go on. And the reason it reminded me of today's passage is this is sort of, it's similar anyway to what's happening with the passage in Isaiah. So this passage written way before Jesus, so way over, Jesus 2,000 years ago, this is centuries before that, and so you've got, okay, so if that's their present, okay, the people who wrote it and read it, this is their present here, they're looking forward to a point in history where the servant is speaking to them about things that have happened and things that are going to happen, and then we're reading it like all the way up here, looking back at all of it, all right, so a little bit complicated, but This bit here, the flash forward to the life of the servant, reminds me of Jesus on Good Friday. And actually, when when we look at it in detail in a moment, you'll see that the things that have come before all line up with what's happened in Good Friday, and the things that are coming all line up with 
Easter Sunday. So it's an excellent preparation for this Easter week that we've got ahead of us. Um, I want to say it's not exactly like that. So I'm not making a direct connection and saying flash forward and the book of Isaiah, pretty much the same thing. <laughs> uh, that's not the case. So don't, don't get like too literal about it. Um, but at the same time, it might be helpful to think of it in that way of a glimpse of the future and the servant uh, who is Jesus speaking from the future. Okay, what are the parallels? Why do we make this connection between this character of the servant and Jesus himself? There's lots of reasons. One is to do with the obedience of the servant. In verse 4, we read that the servant hears the words of God and speaks the words of God. He has an instructed ear and an instructed tongue. And this is something that Jesus said about himself all the time. So for example, in John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And if you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, he often says things like this. God's given me the words to say, um, I don't speak on my own, I only speak what the Father speaks to me, this sort of thing. It's a regular thing that Jesus says to people about himself. So he's obedient in the way he hears and he speaks. He's also just obedient in his life. He obeys God's commands. He sticks to God's teaching and he never rebels against it. Unlike you and me, where sometimes we will accidentally be disobedient, sometimes we will be deliberately disobedient to God, Jesus never was, neither is the servant. Uh, lots of times this mentions this in the New Testament. For example, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. So he's obeying God's commands to the point where he's prepared to die in order to keep doing that. He's sticking to the plan to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is a particularly nasty, horrible, violent, painful way to die. So he's all in on, obe on obeying God. And then the obedience goes even a little bit further in verse 10, where it says we, we people, need to obey the servant. So it's not that just the servant is like an example of a moral person or example of a good religious person who we can copy. It goes beyond that and that this person is actually to be obeyed like God himself is to be obeyed. Now again, this lines up really nicely with what we know about Jesus, where Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be God come to earth in human form. And theologically, we talk about Jesus as being 100% God and 100% human at the same time. And here in Isaiah, we have the servant who is to be obeyed like God is to be obeyed. So obedience really lines up. But then also the suffering of the servant lines up. In verse 6 and verse 7, it outlines this physical and mental suffering that the servant will go through. Uh, there's violence done to the servant and there's criticism and there's shame and there's mocking and so on. So again, this lines up, especially with Good Friday. Jesus is whipped. Jesus has all these violent things done towards, to him. Eventually, he's violently executed. Plus, there's all this shame that people are really not just trying to get rid of Jesus, but they're trying to completely wipe out his reputation and make him seem like the worst guy who deserves to die. All, so all, all this lines up. Um, and what's more, the servant is going to suffer because he's obedient to God, because he's sticking to God's plan. That's why he'll suffer. It's not just random suffering because there's some bad dudes around who don't like the look of him. It's because he's obedient to God. Same thing happened to Jesus. 
Jesus stuck to the plan, said the things that God said to him, even though they weren't popular, that made people not like him, that made people attack him, but he stuck to it. And in fact, there's that reference to Flint making his face like Flint in the passage. I didn't know much about Flint, so I've learned about it during the week. Uh, It's a very hard black rock, and if you strike it with metal, it'll spark. So you know the TV show Survivor? where they put you on a, like a, a remote island and you've got to survive for a few months, they give all the contestants at the start of the show a piece of flint so that they can use the sparks that you can make from it to start a fire and to have a campfire so they've got warmth and so on. So it's like Jesus is hardening himself, getting ready for all the attacks that are coming because he's going to stay stuck to God's plan. He's going to continue to be obedient. By the way, I haven't watched every season of Survivor. I noticed when I said that, a few people were looking at each other going, that didn't happen. (laughs) Maybe it only happened in one of the series. I don't know, but there you go. Actually, Tim told me that. I didn't even see it. Tim told me. Tim saw it, and I I trust him. He's a a trustworthy source of information. (laughs) Um, So, And then the last thing is the servant is vindicated. What does vindication mean? Uh, Well, if you've had someone accuse you of something, a bad thing, then vindication is when your name is cleared. So if you've been accused of a crime that you didn't do and you're vindicated, it means people go, they will draw all charges and say, no, you are innocent, uh, you are cleared, your reputation is restored, you did not do it. Okay? So the servant is going to be vindicated uh, and going to be shown that their obedience is the right thing to do and that they've been suffering for a a worthy cause. (coughs) Similar thing with Jesus. This is where, in the flash forward, uh, he starts to point forward to what's going to happen. The vindication is coming. And Jesus' vindication really came on Easter Sunday, on the day where he rose from the dead. If you think about it, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. Huge claim. Anyone going to claim that today? You're probably going to be called crazy. Jesus was called crazy. Jesus claims to speak the words of God. Again, huge claim. Uh, Jesus claims to have power over life and death. Massive claim. Now, if he just died and stayed dead, then the people who criticized him for that and told him he was a liar and told everyone that he might be working for Satan, um, they're right because he clearly didn't have power over life and death and all these things he said he was going to do, he didn't. But if he did rise from the dead, and we'll talk about that next Sunday, it is a hard thing to believe. It is a miracle. But assuming that the resurrection happened, then Jesus is vindicated. His name is cleared of all those accusations because he's proven that he is the Son of God, that he does have the power over life and death, and he has been speaking the truth. So the servant is saying he's going to be vindicated, and Jesus was vindicated through his resurrection. So, there's all the connections. Hopefully, I've convinced you that this thing that was written centuries before Jesus uh, is definitely a prophecy, of uh, a future prophecy of Jesus' arrival on earth and the things that he's going to do. That's all great. Okay, you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're considering becoming a follower of Jesus. What difference does that make in our lives? How do we sort of apply this information from an ancient prophecy book to our lives today? Well, we can learn a lot from Jesus, a lot from the servant, from the way he goes about being obedient, particularly in the midst of suffering. 
Jesus listened to God and obeyed God's teaching and God's instructions. I don't know what your experience with obeying God has been like in your life. For me, it's been, on the whole, very positive. When I've followed God's teaching, when I've looked to the Bible and uh, sought to understand what decisions God wants me to make in different areas of my life, uh, when I've sought God in prayer about the decisions I need to make, then I've generally found that it's brought really good things into my life. It's been great for my relationships. It's been great uh, for my just sense of identity and, and sense of peace in my life. And uh, it's helped me take on the difficult situations and it's been a real support in the challenges of life. That said, being honest, sometimes when it comes to obedience, I don't want to. I just don't want to be obedient in that particular area. I don't know, maybe it's the mood I'm in at the particular time, maybe it's the circumstances, whatever the case, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to be obedient in, in that part. I'm reading, maybe I'm reading the Bible or I'm reminded of something that I already know and I don't want to. And sometimes I'm strong and I choose to be obedient anyway and sometimes I'm weak and I'm not. Also, usually when I'm not, by the way, it doesn't go well. Like later you go, oh, should have just been obedient. <laughs> um, but also, sometimes being obedient, following God's instructions, does bring problems into your life. Probably the most regular problems that we would run into is that socially we start to get criticized and people Christians aren't always popular you know like at school it's not cool to be a Christian so you probably it's going to cost you and we talked a bit that about that on camp that some people find the cost of losing your coolness at school because you're a Christian they can't cope with that so they give up on Christianity not because they've looked at all the evidence and decided it's not true or not because they've had a crisis of what they believe. They just want, want to be cool and they want to be accepted in the groups that are, they want to be accepted in at, at school and they decide they can't do that if they're a Christian because they lose that social power. Um, but then there's the pressure to conform to, you know, it's not just a school thing, like this happens when you're adults. It happens in workplaces, happens in families. Sometimes people just don't want you to be a Christian and will put a lot of pressure on you to be disobedient to God or will label you all sorts of horrible names if you seek to be obedient to God. You might just get the sense of that, that Christians aren't particularly popular in our society, particularly when it comes to certain issues. And so this is the sort of thing that's like, well, that's, that doesn't bring... Like, I don't love that. I don't love people thinking I'm a moron or a bigot or an idiot for being obedient to God. But sometimes that does happen. Now, in Australia, let's be honest, that's fairly mild. Like, there's other parts of the world where if you are obedient to God and you admit publicly that you're a Christian, look out. There's danger of violence, there's danger of death in certain parts of the world. So we've got it good in that sense, but... In the same way, still a challenge. And obedience does not always make life easy. Sometimes it brings suffering into our life. And then, of course, there's just other suffering as well that's not because you're a Christian, but just because you're human. You know, bad health uh, is a situation that I've faced um, over the years. I've got chronic fatigue syndrome. It's doing pretty well now. doesn't affect me um, a whole lot. But there were a few years there where it was really bad. And I had a conversation with their housemate at the time, uh, who's Christian, 
And he was asking the question, why is this happening to you? I was working at the church we both went to, and he said, you're working for the church, you're doing these good things at the church, you're being obedient to God. Why are you so sick and other people are healthy? And so we had to talk this through and actually go, well, what do we actually expect from God when it comes to suffering? Like, and what does he actually promise? And do those two things line up? And we realized in that conversation and other conversations I've had like it, is that often we inherit this idea, particularly if you've grown up as a Christian, like you know, your family are Christians in, um, as you've been growing up, that um, we inherit this idea, even if it's never directly taught to us, that because I'm a Christian, my life is going to be smoother and more comfortable than people who aren't. And if I'm being obedient to God and I'm following his commands, you know, I'm doing the Ten Commandments or I'm reading my Bible or I'm praying or whatever, that somehow that means... It's just going to be more cushy for me, that God's going to look after me and that God's going to just smooth the path in, in front of me so I don't trip. Now, in some ways, there's a bit of truth in that, in the sense that God does promise to bless those who obey him. And as I said, in my experience, obedience has mainly brought me great things in life and I believe that God has been giving those things. So there is truth in the sense that God loves us being obedient. But it's not true that in a sense of one plus one equals two and that if you're obedient this much, that God will then smooth the path for you this much. It doesn't work that way. That's not a promise at all. Our faith is not one of earning God's love. It's accepting God's love that was given unconditionally. Our faith is one of uh, not earned gifts you know, or paid wages. It's of grace, a freely given gift that is undeserved. Every blessing that we have in our life that comes from God who created everything is because of God's grace, not because we're awesome. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've worked really hard or prayed really hard or just been good moral people or gone to church 50 weeks in a row. It's because God loves us and he forgives us when we stuff up and he loves us when we are obedient but it's not this sort of I've earned it situation. There's no promise in the Bible that goes along those lines. So when it comes to suffering, we need to understand it in that context. That no, being a Christian does not mean you'll be immune from suffering. Sometimes we can ask for healing for illness and God will, by his love and grace, miraculously heal people. There's some people in, our, in this room who have been miraculously healed by God of one thing or another. That's because God is kind, not because those people are better than the people who prayed and weren't healed. That suffering is actually a guarantee for us. That when we live publicly as Christians, which we're called to do, that sometimes we are going to be criticised for it. We are going to be bullied for it. It's not going to be the easiest road. But we have Jesus who's sometimes called the suffering servant, who gets it. Compared to a lot of other religions, all the religions that I know about anyway, this is where Christianity is different. Where instead of God being sort of remote and distant from people and not suffering and not really getting involved in all that sort of petty stuff that humans do, God becomes one of us and goes through all that. He is humiliated and does feel pain and all these things. God gets it. 
the suffering that you experience, the suffering that others experience, God gets it because he's been there. He doesn't promise that you won't have it, but he does promise that he'll be with you and loving you all the way through it. If you ever want to learn about an inspirational person from uh, a Christian from the past, Corrie Ten Boom would be a good person to look up. That's a picture of her in her old age. When she was younger, her family was involved in uh, hiding Jewish people from the Nazis during World War II. And I think that's where they hid them, like in the wall in her house. I I believe that's a picture of that. And so they got caught doing this and got put in a concentration camp run by the Nazis. Now, if you know anything about concentration camps, you know that they are just horrendous places to be, where people were just treated awfully. And not only were they just like locked up and have all their freedom taken away, but the Nazis did their best to humiliate people and bring as much shame on them as possible. So one thing that they would do would be to strip the prisoners naked and just get them to stand in the middle of the prison yard completely exposed. And so I'm going to read you just a a little snippet from Corrie Ten Boom's life where she's in that situation. They've, They've been stripped naked, they're in the middle of the yard. Standing there in plain view of her oppressors, the thought came to Corrie like an epiphany A biblical revelation landed deep in her spirit. They took his clothes too, she mouthed under her breath. Until this moment, Corrie had never fully understood or really known the depth of humiliation that Christ endured at the cross. She reflected on the exact words of the gospel and they stripped him of his clothes. Jesus had hung naked on the cross for the sins of the world. There was no decency or respect shown to him. The Son of God hung naked and exposed because a stream of gawking onlookers, uh, before a stream of gawking onlookers who hurled insults at him. They took his clothes too. In that moment, Corrie, amidst the pain and the horror, found hope and courage in her God. He had suffered her fate, experienced what she experienced, felt what she felt and in that Corrie found hope if you're in the midst of struggles at the moment life's tough at the moment let me be clear of what I'm not saying I'm not saying you need to turn that frown upside down you just need to push on get over it move on cheer up that's what I'm not saying okay if you're having struggles If life is tough, it's okay to hate it. It's okay to whinge about it. It's okay to whinge to God about it. The challenge in the passage, though, is not to give up being disobedient to God because of it. To not go, well, I'm experiencing challenge. I'm just going to drop my faith. Or I'm going to back off and and not, not put as much effort into it. That's the challenge of the passage. You know, if you look at the second part of verse 10 there, let the one who walks in dark, I can't imagine being in a darker place than a concentration camp. Let the one who walks in dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. That's the challenge. That it's, look, it's easy to put your trust in God and it's easy to be obedient to God when it's going really well for you. Like when, when obeying, obeying God's just bringing heaps of good things, of course you're going to keep doing that. It's when things get hard. That's the challenge. That's when... You work out whether your relationship with Jesus is real. 
And that's when trust becomes really important. Now, thankfully, not only do we have this challenge of being obedient in the midst of suffering, we also have the promise of vindication. That not only is Jesus' name cleared, but our name is cleared. That God loves us so much that Jesus' sacrifice is for us. And that all that we've done wrong will be wiped away. That all that we've done wrong, uh, sorry, all the reputation that we've lost will be restored. And that eventually, in the next life, suffering will be completely ended. So we receive this vindication from Jesus when we become a Christian. Uh, we experience some of it now, and we'll experience all of it in the life that is to come. That is a promise. And again, it is reliant on the resurrection being true. And again, come on Sunday. Sunday next week, and we'll talk about that. But assuming the resurrection is true, that vindication is there for Jesus and for us. And so suffering is not just something to be endured. We've got this one who's vindicating us, who's journeying along with us. I just want to finish by pointing out some interesting things about verse 11, because it's a, it's a bit of a weird verse. Let's have a look at it. Verse 11. Starts off like it's an instruction. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches. This is like, um, not like battery torches, but you know, hold a stick up. Indiana Jones carries them around tombs, uh, you know, <laughs> revealing spiders. And so uh, you've got, got this, this burning torch, right? And, page flipped over while I do that. Uh, <laughs> says, Go, walk in the light of your fires. And of the torches you have set ablaze. And you think, oh, okay. All right, let's go do it. It's like the last bit's almost like a not sort of thing. Because actually goes, this is what you shall receive from my hand. So this is how God will judge you if you do this. You will lie down in torment. Or another translation puts it, you will fall down in pain. So it's basically saying, if you do do this torch carrying thing by yourself, then it's not going to go well for you. It's going to end badly. Now, What's that on about? Why is that at the end of this section about the servant? This is not the servant speaking, by the way. This is verse 10 and verse 11, jump back into the voice of the narrator. Uh, I saw some Chris Rock comedy recently, not necessarily a show I'd recommend, but there was a funny bit where he was talking about the fact that his kids go to high school and they have this like present, like get all the parents and families together at the start of the year and the teachers do all these rev up talks for the school and like encouraging the students for the year and so on and Chris Rock summarized it as adults lying to children because uh, he said they get up and they say things like and if you've been coming to Sunday at six for a few years you've heard me talk about this before you can put do, do sorry you can do anything if you put your mind to it is the thing that we tell children you can do anything just put your mind to it and uh, probably comes from a good starting point in the sense that yeah if you've got a task to do and you focus your mind on it, you're probably going to be more successful than if you focus your mind somewhere else. But we start to take it to this huge level in our hyper-individualized society where like, that's the solution to everything. It's just to put your mind to it. You'll be able to conquer any problem that you face. And then we say things like, if you're facing a problem, all you need to do is look deep inside yourself and you'll find the answer. Like, and this is, again, stuff we say to children. Just, just look inside yourself and you'll work it all out. Now, again... A little bit of wisdom there in the sense that it's good to build a bit of resilience. It's good to have a bit of you know, self-confidence. 
But it's not the solution to everything. It's not, it's not going to work out all the world's problems. It's not going to work out all your problems. It's absolute garbage. It is teachers lying to, to children or adults lying to children. But that's a big part of our culture is that the individual is all you need. Rely on yourself. I want, Okay, this is an extra story. I was doing night shift once. Anyone done night shift? Weird conversations happen on night shift, don't they? Like, you just, you bump into someone, get you a cup of tea, like your fifth caffeine fix because you're trying to stay awake, and you just talk about some things. I, this is the only other guy. I was working for my dad's business. Dad's here tonight. I don't know if I ever told you this. So working for this guy, we're both on a break, and he gives me some life advice because I was like 20, and he was, I don't know, heaps older than me. And he goes, here's the two bits of advice. Let's see if I can remember them. Um... Look after yourself first, never trust anyone else. <laughs> and he went for about 15 minutes telling me why <laughs> they were the two number one bits of advice in life. Now, clearly, his trust had been broken, right? So the history of that is, I'm sure, that he had not found relying on other people a solution. But at the same time, as he talked about his life as it currently was, that wasn't the solution either. Like, not trusting people and just you know, going for yourself wasn't the thing. Um, so... So the Bible teaches very clearly that we do need each other, and most but we do let each other down sometimes. We're not always 100% trustworthy. That's why we also need God, who is 100% trustworthy. And when we have those two things, then we can approach the challenges in life. And being a bit of an individual in the sense that you've got your own personality and your own hobbies and your own gifts and stuff, that's great. But taking individualism to the point of view where you'll go, I'm just going to go off by myself with my torch, and I'm just going to walk into the darkness and all the challenges of life, and I'll just, all I need is me, then the Bible is teaching us that that is a very bad idea. And if you like, here's the metaphor. We've got it on the screen there. You're going to carry your own torch into the darkness where you've got a bit of light and eventually it's going to go out, or you're going to rely on the creator who made the sun that fully lights the world every day of the year. Of course you want the sun. It's going to be way better at it. And I think it's a, it's a good sort of image for us to have in the way we think about trusting in God. So that's verse 11. I thought it was worth mentioning it just here at the end. I want to finish just by having a look again at that second part of verse 10. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Before these guys had real, before Jesus... These guys already had this sense that they could trust God and they could trust God when they were trying to be obedient despite all the challenges. We have the full story. You know, we're future, beyond, that, beyond the flash forward, we're future from that. We have a clear picture of Jesus for us in the New Testament. And when we see that, we know that no matter how dark our situation is, God is always there offering us his love, promising to be with us, and he gets it because he's been there. And I want to just finish by praying for us now. And I want to particularly pray for anyone who is in a situation that's pretty dark. You know, your life's tough at the moment for one reason or another. I'd especially like to pray for you. Father God, we do pray for people now who are doing it tough. And we ask that you especially be with them through the power of your spirit right now. Where there is a lack of hope, we ask that you bring hope. Where there is darkness, we ask that you bring light. 
where there is confusion and chaos, we ask that you bring clarity and order. Where there is a lack of love, we ask that you would bring heaps of love. And where life is just measured by our own performance, maybe our performance as a Christian, maybe just our performance as a human, and we're just measuring ourselves by that all the time, we pray that you'll bring freedom from that. Remind us that your love is grace given to us freely, even when it's not deserved. Please use the remainder of our service as we pray and as we sing as we share communion together to shine your light into our lives and to help us to be obedient to you in the tough times and the good. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.